Prudence. Dear 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 Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. This week, my guest is Ella Baker, a trans lesbian writer and the host of How to Be Trans, a platform celebrating thriving trans lives. And now, here's our first letter. All right. Um, Ella, I believe that uh, you're on deck to read our next letter. All right. The subject is Aspiring Exorcist. Dear Prudence, when I was 21... I had a whirlwind romance that lasted less than six months and ended when he ghosted me. It took me a long time to get over the heartbreak. It was my first, but even now I still think about him far too often. In the shower, on long car rides, when I'm tired, he just pops up. I still have dreams about him once a month. They used to come every couple of nights, so this is progress. This chronic stage has lasted about three to four years now, after two to three years of acute heartbreak. I know that this has little to do with him. I barely knew him, and I definitely don't have any romantic feelings for him anymore. The fact that there was no closure for me, of course, made it harder to move on. Maybe more importantly, the non-breakup got tangled up with other traumatic things that were happening in my life at the same time, including a miscarriage and my father telling me he had terminal brain cancer. I wasn't equipped to deal with either. I haven't had this issue with any of my other exes, And there have been a few since then. How do I get rid of this guy? Is there some kind of therapy or brain detox for cases like these? Well, in terms of the last question, is there therapy that helps people, you know, process, uh, you know, a lack of closure or thoughts about a particularly like profoundly, uh, I guess, active and, and sometimes traumatizing time in your life? Yes, absolutely. That's literally what therapy is for. So yeah. I don't mean to say that I can promise there's a kind of therapy that gets you to stop thinking about ex-boyfriends, but, you know, if you would like somebody that you could process some of these thoughts with and maybe take some of the, like, subconscious action of these dreams and and spend a lot of time consciously discussing them and, and investigating various, like, desires, impulses, fears, anxieties that might be coming up, again, that is, like, the origin of therapy, I think, um, definitely, definitely go. Yeah, and, and be kind to yourself when he does pop up. Like, don't beat up on yourself about the fact that you're still not over it. Um, I think you have a lot of self-awareness in pointing out that this is not about him. It's about the fact that it's sort of wrapped up in this other trauma that you've experienced. You know, having a miscarriage and dealing with terminal brain cancer in your family, that's a whole lot to have going on at the same time. And I think that you point out he's sort of become the symbol of that pain and trauma. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think you're already pretty set in terms of like, I, I, I'm clear on where my feelings are in all of this. Like the fact that my mind returns to this period of my life and turns it over again and again um, does not necessarily correspond with really powerful feelings of longing or regret. 
Um, but I turn it over because there's a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of different ways my my life could have turned out differently. And um, so, again, I think if, if you go to therapy with the goal of within six months or two years or whatever, I will have cut down my dreams about this guy again. You know, that I don't think I can um, confidently say is, is going to happen. But if you go with the intention of like, look, I'm clearly already thinking about this a lot, I, I might as well dedicate a little time to consciously not just like turn over this time and 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 fling it off to the side but like you know examine it very carefully and up close and and see if there are any insights that I can glean from it that would be a really good reason to go to therapy so yeah go Absolutely. to therapy have a great time there's always you know anyone can benefit from therapy at any point in their life um i also think that the fact that this was such a short lived connection um, you say under six months, and it having such an outsized impact on your life, um, regardless of the other traumatic things that were going on at the same time, um, it may be worth going to like codependency groups or reading some literature um, so that your relationships don't have this outsized sense of value and self-worth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's often a really good piece of blanket advice. I... um. I also think it makes a lot of sense, like your early 20s, your late adolescence is is often a time that people spend a lot of time like reflecting on later, partly just because that's a, a really, um, that's a time in your life where a lot happens. And oftentimes you like start to go down paths that will go on to define your adulthood. So I don't even know that it's necessarily a sign of codependency, um, although it's always great to double check. It's just like, you know. So much literature is about that time of of life. So much art is about the time in life. Like it's, you are not, it's kind of like the the person who is worried about the herpes thing. It's just like, not like everybody feels this way. Don't worry about it. It's not a real problem. But like, this is a very common issue that a lot of people struggle with, I think. And, you know, people don't. But I don't know how much this is like reminiscing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, As it is sort of being haunted. Like it feels Mm -hmm. more like a haunting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really get that. I really get that. And um, I think we don't always get to like decide when we'll stop being haunted by something. But you can certainly think about, you know, how do I want to deal with the fact given that this is my reality? Um, So, yeah. And especially in, you know, the wake of being ghosted, which is just a horrible cultural phenomenon in general. Yeah. Yeah. But this is just really sweet. Go to therapy, have a blast or have a really weird time or both. And um you know, just give yourself permission to talk aloud the stuff that you've been trying to keep um, pushed as far to the side of, of your life as you can, right? Like you've been like, fine, I'll just think about him in the shower. I'll just dream about him, but I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to share this with my friends. I'm not going to, you know, bring this up as a topic of conversation or see if other people feel this way. So it's just like, maybe if you grant this a little conscious attention, a little attention where you're not trying to push it away, Um, something new will happen. Yeah, and it's not actually clear what the impact of this is on this person's life, right? Is this causing you anxiety? Um, Are you unable to sleep because of this? Or is this just like random memories? Yeah. Um, But good luck. I think that there's an excellent chance that you will find therapy very productive and helpful and you'll be able to identify a lot of things about yourself that you might not have previously known. And that's always cool to get to do. Maybe you'll find out you're trans. That's what happened the last time I went to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So we'll move on. That's why my parents warned me against going to a psychiatrist. <laughs> oh, if only, if only, if only it worked that way. <laughs> so speaking of, you know, family members, uh, the subject of this next letter is mother-in-law's gift giving is exhausting. Dear Prudence, my mother-in-law, Betty, is a healthy woman in her 70s. She lives on a fixed but reasonable income. She stresses out about gifts, and it stresses me out. Betty is a broken record. All the grandkids want expensive gifts she can't afford. Her children have spoiled them. She can't even afford to buy wrapping paper. Betty will harass my husband or me to drive her miles out of our way for deals. Half the time, Betty is going off of an old expired ad or is getting basically junk like broken video game systems. Her children have all told her to stop giving gifts or offered to just put her name on the ones that they buy. Betty refuses. My 19-year-old daughter suggested Betty write down family recipes or childhood stories for all of her cousins. She would enjoy them and knows that her cousins would grow up to love them. Betty said the idea was stupid and cheap. Her boys never cook and everyone already knows her stories. This hurt my daughter. I'm done dealing with Betty. In my opinion, her whining is for attention rather than any real affection for her grandchildren. I am ready to set Betty up with an Amazon account and tell everyone in the family to put money in it. My husband might be laid off soon. I have no energy to deal with Betty. Help. Oof. I mean, right there with you. I love, by the way, that it starts out with, like, Betty is in her 70s, but she's healthy. Like, the disappointment there of, like, fuck, she's going to be alive another 20 years. Sure. And I can sense, and, like, this makes me frustrated to read. Um, Betty sounds like a handful, for sure. And a little bit. Or a lot of bit disrespectful, right? Um, the way that she flippantly wrote off your daughter's really kind and beautiful suggestion. Um, before I sort of like harp on Betty and like the need to say no to Betty's ridiculousness, um, I do want to know what Betty's home culture is. Because mm-hmm. um, as a Korean girl, like I understand that gift giving does have a lot of saving face to it and a sense of personal worth and value. Um, so it might be worth exploring that, um, and just seeing what are maybe the cultural implications of Betty's sense of value around gift giving and not being considered cheap. Hmm. Did you, like, my thought there was like, with the stuff about like the broken video games or like expired ads, it seemed like she was off it. Like it had more to do with like an anxious desire to spend a lot of time thinking about gifts rather than getting like actually usable gifts that necessarily people want. Like, did that, did that strike you as a possible read or? I I do think that's probably it. Um, I do think though, there's still like a, let's figure out what the culture is too, just Mm -hmm. so we're sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I, I very much know how East Asian culture tends to be, um, it tends to place a heavy emphasis on gifts that are a lot of times useless, right? That's how uh, the Sanrio Corporation came about, was these like really junk plastic gifts people would just bring um, to each other. But let's just take that out of the equation for now, Mm because we don't have that information. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just interesting to think about what the implications of that would be. I do think that this is all about Betty. This isn't about, you know, the gifts that she's giving. They're completely useless. She's trying to save a buck getting things that nobody actually wants and um, things that your family has said to stop giving. 
Yeah. I think, though, I'm glad that you brought that up, too, because I think I do often also get letters from people who are dealing with elderly parents who are difficult. And I want to also make sure that, like, you know, again, kind of like with the first letter writer, like it is possible to set a limit and also to try to bring compassion to dealing with a potentially difficult person. Like, I don't know if she's still she's on a fixed income. I don't think she's still working or it doesn't have necessarily like her kids living with her where she's like, oh, like looking after them on a daily basis is a big part of my day. And so this is one of the ways in which she stays connected with the family. And even if she is difficult and often unpleasant and doesn't seem to have like a generous heart or spirit that goes along with all this kind of like obsessing about gifts. I can also imagine that there are a lot of ways in which she feels a little worried that she's going to drop off everybody's radar and that she's not going to be remembered and that some of this may be driven by fear and anxiety, which, again, does not mean you have to keep driving her around when she's like, I have an expired coupon for something three towns over, but hopefully will enable you to figure out, you know, do I have a little extra energy today or next week? And if not, how can I kindly and respectfully let her know, like, I'm not available to drive you? But I hope you're able to find another way to get the present you need. Absolutely. Just drawing those boundaries and learning to say no. And I love your idea about maybe um, maybe incorporating her into other aspects of family life, hmm. right? Where um, you might be able to sneakily find a way to get a recipe from her um, and showing her that her sense of family value and worth isn't in her gift giving, but in her presence and being itself. Yeah. And, and you know, I think maybe part of the problem has been like whenever we try to suggest an alternative to gift giving, she shoots it down. And the implication there is like, how do we come up with an idea that's so good she has to say it's a good idea and start doing it? And I don't see that happening with Betty right now. So I, I think rather than I think rather than giving her an idea she can reject, if you are not going to you know, and I think, again, I think it's very reasonable and you can still be like loving and compassionate if you say, I'm not available to take you on this trip to just say, you know, good luck finding the gift that you need. And that like not taking on the shared problem solving role here, just like, you know, I don't know what she'll do next. Maybe she'll have to figure out how to set up uh, an online account all her own. Um, hopefully not Amazon. Don't give anyone an Amazon account. Like they're, Do not they're, they're working with ICE. Amazon they're destroying account. the universe. Like, you know, I get that like you might not be able to untangle yourself from them completely, but don't add to their, you know, bulk. Yeah, that's sort of just like massively enabling her, especially if you say that your family could be facing financial trouble soon. Yes. Um, this is not the time to enable Betty further. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, again, there's that sense of like, I've got to solve this problem for her so she'll get off my back. But the thing is, you'll never solve the problem to her satisfaction because part of what she wants is to have a problem she can bring to you at all times. So what's necessary here is to just not engage in that problem with her. So like if you want to sometimes say like, do you want to come over and have supper with us and the kids? We'd love to see you. Or, hey, I was thinking about this recipe for such and such a thing. Do you happen to have it on hand? You know, other ways that you can engage with her, do that. But if she says, I don't know how I'm going to get a present for such and such a person, to just say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Good luck. I'm not available to help. Um, that's your way out of here. I, I do love that. Like taking gift giving out of the equation and conversation entirely and sort of reframing your interactions with her in a way where she can still take part and give. Um, of her knowledge and time in ways that don't directly involve gifts. 
Yeah. And if there's times that she's just like a dog with a bone and won't let it go, those will be, I think, the times that you'll just need to say like, Betty, I really wish you the best solving this problem. I'm not able to help you with it. I'd love to talk about something else with you. If you can't do that, I'm going to go. And, you know, if she gets really mad about that, that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Um, but you need to start drawing this boundary, even if Betty gets really difficult about it. She's not going to I think sometimes there's a fantasy or a hope when people write into me of like, I deal with this difficult person. Is there a magical way to say no where they're going to agree with me? And there almost never is. You're usually going to have to say no to them and they will not like it and they will let you know they don't like it and they will try to stop you from committing to your no. You're not going to get their buy-in. You're not going to get their permission. You're not going to get their enthusiastic participation. You have to do it even when they fight you on it. Yeah, it has to be about not changing Betty and just changing the way that, you know, you approach her. Yeah. And, you know, good luck. Don't make her any account of any kind. Get less involved in her (laughs) gift buying problems, not more. Absolutely. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.